Welcome to the More Than Birds podcast, where we talk about more than birds. So today we're here with David Lindo from the UK, and he is the Urban Birder. So how are you doing today, David? You know what? Not too bad, uh, Rad. Um, the problem here in London is that it's pouring with rain. It has been for the last week or so. I've actually spent the previous six weeks in the States. Mm-hmm. So I've had all sorts of weather, ranging from hot Arizona, Arizona desert weather straight through to being so cold that I nearly died in upstate New York. So it just shows the different ranges of weather I'm having, but at the moment it's raining. But apart from that, I'm fine. How are you, by the way? I am very well, very well. So what brought you to the U.S.? You went on a six-week tour of the of the U.S. birding, or? No, it wasn't actually, but, well, I did, obviously I went birding, but <laughs> it, was, it came by accident because what happened was my friend, he's a director, and uh, he's been in Los Angeles since last November, last December, and he contacted me whilst I was away myself in December um, and said, do you want to come out and see me? So I thought, okay. So I got back to the UK in January, early January. I sent an email out to a couple of emails out to a few people. And then within a week and a half, I had an itinerary stretching from coast to coast um, <laughs> over six weeks. So that's how that came about. And it was essentially um, a talking tour, but I also did a few tours um, and I met with a few kind of media people as well. So it was a very, very successful tour for me. And I met so many great people. And, and so was that your first bird your, not trip to the U.S. or had you been here before? I've been, I've been to the U.S. many times before, but admittedly, uh, most of the time was either to New York or mo- more than likely to Los Angeles. I hadn't really been to anywhere in between. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of an eye-opener for me. Well, you have to make it to Montana eventually. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so you know you're you're a birder in the UK, and so tell me how'd you get into birding? You know what sparked it in you to become a birder? Well, I often say this, but I think I was interested in birds uh, in a previous life um, because when I was eventually born, I was uh, born into an area of Northwest London which was predominantly black and Irish. Um, I had this innate interest in natural history, which came from nowhere. Um, no one around me, none of my friends, family, or anyone else for that matter, had any interest whatsoever. I had no mentor, so I had to teach myself. And this interest just kept coming, and it never waned at all. So it's kind of spooky. My mum um, often says, you know, she thought that it would be a passing fad. You know, I was asking for bird books when I was five or six, and she said, okay, I'll get them for him but I'm sure he'll kind of grow out of it, but I never did. So I don't know where it came from, but I started noticing birds when I was about five years old and I didn't have a book, so I just named them as I saw them. So <laughs> sparrows were baby birds, starlings were mummy birds, that kind of thing. But then when I was about seven or eight, I I went to the library and came across a field guide mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of the end really because I quickly devoured this book and Within six months, I was a walking encyclopedia on the birds of Britain, Europe, North Africa, and the Middle East. I could name every species. I could tell you how big they were in inches, where they came from, the color coordinations in terms of you know what plumages they had. I, I was a complete expert, but I hadn't seen anything yet. Mm. And I had no one to take me anywhere. And as a kid, I was often told 
you couldn't see birds or wildlife unless you went into the countryside. So I had no option. I had no countryside to go to. So I just saw things um, in the city and I began to realize that that notion was actually not true. Right. And so you started started seeing these birds as a child and falling in love with what you had available to you, you know, growing up in an urban area. And then, so did you eventually find a birding mentor or get into a birding group or how did it progress? Well, the thing is, I mean, you know, I found, for example, that birding in cities was very rich. I didn't mm-hmm. actually realize. I mean, I was given the impression that it was, it was, a, it was a poor man's poor, poor, poor man's countryside, but in fact, it was quite rich in birds. Mm-hmm. And I, I met a birder. My, the first birder I met, I think I was around about nine years old, and he worked at my dad's factory. And he took me out for a day, and he collected eggs. He was an egger, as we call them in the UK. Mm-hmm. So egging isn't a very nice thing to do, and it was one of those things that the Victorians did in a big way. Um, but he didn't teach me egging, thank God, because I was at an impressionable age. He actually showed me the, the beauty of actually sitting and waiting and looking for nests in, and waiting for birds to come back to their nests. And I suddenly realized that there is an, an element to birding which I never sort of thought about which was patience and I was sitting down and waiting but um, <clears throat> I didn't actually form join any groups at all um, I had well, I went to um, secondary school I don't know what you call it in the US but um, when I was 11 I started school I met a, a guy there in my class and I basically press ganged him I converted him into a birder so that I could have an accomplice and <laughs> He and I went birding uh, between ages of 11 till we were about, well, early, in our early 20s anyway. We had pseudonyms because, um, uh, as kids do, we kind of messed around. And mm-hmm. he called himself Cornelius Ravenwing III. <laughs> and uh, not to be outdone, I had heard a name in my dim past. And I said, right, I'll call myself Lonious Monk, um, <laughs> not knowing that that name was already taken. But... <laughs> We'd go uh, around to various reserves and especially when we were sort of 16 plus, we'd go to reserves and write in the diaries, you know, ostrich flying south and Cornelius and and, and uh, Thelonious were here. You know, stuff that kids do. But um, yeah, I'm sure so, there was someone uptight going, who the hell are these guys? <laughs> we used to go around in trench coats as well and trilby hats, you know, kids do. Yeah, being goofy. <laughs> And yeah. so, so at a certain point, you decided to make birding a profession. So, did you, you know, go to college for biology, or did you go right into like the nonprofit world? I basically am self-taught. I never did any college work at all or university. Um, I fell into being a professional birder, for want of a better word or phrase, about seven years ago. Um, it came about when I one day received an email from the BBC asking me if I wanted to be on a program called Springwatch, which was then, and probably still is, their biggest nature program, talking about birds on my local patch in, East, in West London called Wormwood Scrubs, mm-hmm. which is also the home of a famous um, notorious prison. Um, so I took that opportunity to do that, and it was a day, the actual night before the shoot, I just met the director and she told me, you know, tomorrow just be yourself and, you know, they're going to film me walking around, just tell us what you know about the birds you see. And I went home that night and I was thinking, what can I say? What can I do that can make me stand out? And I thought, well, as much as I like to be a David Attenborough char- character travelling through, you know, jungles and deserts and the Galapagos and all that, I actually do watch birds in cities 
and no one really talks about them. So City Birder, what about the Urban Birder? That sounds all right. So the following day, I did the shoot, and I announced myself as David Lindo, the Urban Birder, and they used it in the cut. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. It sounds good, and maybe that's what I should be doing. So it kind of went from there. But you say that NGO, I did actually work for non-profit. It wasn't, yeah, it is a non-profit organization, the British Trust for Ornithology, mm-hmm. uh, <coughs> me, which is, I suppose is the equivalent of your Cornell uh, Laboratory of Ornithology. Um, and they, in Britain, they are very um, instrumental in studying and surveying populations of birds. And I joined them back in, 19, in the late 1990s as their head of membership because then my background was marketing and I... I joined them then, and I was thinking, "Wow, this could be this could be me. This is maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing." But I realised after a couple of years that it wasn't. But I know now this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right, and so you've just started, you know, producing your own, kind of your own brand to get the birding word out there. Is that? Yeah, because you know, I to be honest with you, uh, when I thought of the urban birding, the urban bird, should I say, I, I know that there are a million urban birders out there, and I didn't want to come across as being the urban birder. Right. It's more a question of you know thinking, well, there's people like Jamie Oliver, for example, who had a brand initially called the Naked Chef, right. and that's been apart from all the other guys. And I was thinking, well, that's maybe the way to do it. Maybe I need to brand myself with a label that says what it does on the tin. Mm-hmm. And um, I kind of did that, and it kind of stuck. And people, you know, not only birders, but non-birders or people outside of the birding fraternity got what I did immediately. And my whole thing is a very simple thing. It's all about connecting city people with nature. And, you know, I thought that brand would be a great way of doing it because it's, it's very obvious straight away. So that's right. where that came from. Oh, that's good. And so are you starting to see uh, some traction with urban birding and that people are becoming more interested in conservation on the whole via birding, you know, their own neighborhoods? I think so. I think it's become much more fashionable. Um, From my dealings with people around the world, um, a lot of people don't really consider cities as places for watching birds. But then when you kind of go there and say, well, look, look over there, look at that patch of land there, look, you just... All those species there, they suddenly realize, well, actually, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it is a good place to go. And I think cities are very interesting because, you know, unfortunately, they're unavoidable. You know, this part of life on, an, on this planet, they're going to be more cities, they're going to be bigger cities. So, what we need to do is embrace them and say, okay, fine, we're going to have cities in this world. Let's try and make them as nature friendly as possible um, because cities can be important for various species, not only birds, but other um, taxa. Um, and it's also a good place because birds especially can be very, very, very uh, easy, much more easily kind of approached than they could be in, in, in the normal sort of wild area that you normally think them to be in, um, which makes it easier to engage people. You know? <laughs> right. And, and, and also I, I find that, you know, I do a few cemeteries here and there inside city limits because they're wonderful migrant traps, you know. And I'm sure you had the same thing in the UK, you know, where you have cemeteries or parks that migrants tend to use as they pass through. I think it's the same all over the world. I've traveled the world um, in pursuit of urban birds. I write for various magazines and, you know, I do stick to my, my brief, which is, I, you know, I do like going to urban centers and exploring. Mm-hmm. I consider myself an urban explorer and nothing excites me more than finding things that people just would never expect to find right under their noses in the heart of a city. And, and that's fantastic. I mean, even down to having a local patch or looking out into your backyard in a city and seeing birds 
that you didn't realize were there, you know, only because you didn't look. And that's the whole thing. People just need to stand outside their front door and look up. And you'd be amazed as to what will fly over your head. You know, it's incredible. Mm. Once you open your mind to the fact that anything can show up anywhere at any time, you start seeing things. Right. Because you say cities, for me, are another habitat. Okay, they're not as uh, rich as a marshland or a forest, but it's another habitat. And, and birds will use that habitat. And if you look at the city and try and blot out the people and basically look at the buildings as, cl- as cliffs and see the trees around as, as, as a scattered woodland, and you know, you begin to then see things, you know, and mm-hmm. try it. I mean, I, I, I go around the world giving talks and trying to galvanize people to get out and look at the world in a different way. And I'm amazed at the amount of people that emailed back and said, oh, my God, you know, since, you know, your talk, I went out and I, I saw, you know, whatever in my yard or, you know, up the road, and I just didn't think they'd be there. Right. And, and also I always view as soon as people appreciate something – then they can start working towards conservation of those patches within urban areas and protecting them and making sure they're not overdeveloped or even developing their own backyards into better habitat. Exactly. I mean, for example, here in the UK, we have a very, you know, a lot of people are very proud of their backyards and they plant their gardens up in certain ways. And, you know, unbeknownst to them, even if they leave a tiny patch that is undeveloped and wild, it begins to form a mosaic of habitat across a large area. And that mosaic, you know, attracts obviously plants, but then insects come along and then the insects then in turn attract birds and other animals. So, you know, we actually contribute to the well-being of a lot of wildlife just by a minor act of leaving an area of your backyard wild or putting out bird feeders to feed, feed the wild birds. I mean, it's, we can do so much in such a little area and it's not even a, a big sort of undertaking really and mm-hmm. that's the message i'm trying to get over because at the end of the day as i said before you know we live in cities we're growing as as a, as a as a species and we have to you know instead of bemoaning it we have to try and embrace it and try and edu- educate our town planners and our people you know the politicians to try and make our cities much more nature friendly because in the end of the day it's good for us mm-hmm. as a species because if we can go out of our you know our blocks where we live and walk into a nice park that has a reed bed and a lake there or something and ducks and stuff. It just makes you feel good, you know, mm-hmm. rather than looking at squ- you know, squares of concrete and a couple of, you know, small trees planted here and there. It's, it, it takes little effort. Well, and also having that, that nature time, I think, intends to make people, you know, more accepting of others. Definitely can help, you know, violence problems. I've always been interested in nature programs and prisons and correctional facilities. You know, that same thing that you, be, you you can't help but be a nicer person when you've appreciated nature for a, a time. I agree. I mean, I, I did a talk at Wormwood Scrubs Prison um, once, and I was very nervous about that because I'd never been in a prison before. And going into that prison and being left alone with 60 prisoners, some of which have been jailed for probably murder, was quite at first daunting. But then when I started talking about birds and showing them birds that, they can't see, but, you know, because they live in their cells, but you show them pictures of birds. It's amazing how connected they become. And there was one guy um, who actually, six months later, wrote in his, um, wrote a, 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 an article about it in a prison magazine and basically said, you know, I'll never be a birder, but one thing I will do is associate birds with freedom. And when I leave this prison, you know, I'm going to be looking at birds and thinking, I'm staying out with you guys. So you know it can you you can use it as a as a great way of 
of mellowing out people. You're right, yeah. Right. And and so you have this local patch by this prison, and I was kind of intrigued about this local patch. How did When was the first time you birded it, and how did you come to appreciate this patch? I've been birding that patch now for 20 years, and when I first came across it, I was actually researching a book on where to watch birds in London. I was doing the western half of London, and someone else was doing the eastern half, and I was looking at map, and what I wanted to do was get away from just mentioning the places that people know about. I'm very keen to try and get people to explore new areas. And I was very interested in finding potential patches, local patches for other people to check out. So I saw this area of green not too far from where I was living at the time, um, near Labrador Grove, Notting Hill in West London. So I went over one, one August day and I walked around this parkland. And if you can imagine... It's only, it's only about 183 acres, which is pretty big for London, but it's not that massive. Mm-hmm. And half of the park were playing fields, soccer fields, rugby. And then the other half of the park was a bit rougher, rougher grassland. And the whole area was surrounded by a very thin bit of woodland. So it wasn't that exciting. There was no water. And I remember walking around thinking, mm, this is all right. It's not too bad. But then I made myself go every day for seven days, every lunchtime. And on the seventh day, almost like a biblical scenario, this is in August, on the seventh day, I flushed a migrant, I flushed um, a pied flycatcher. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I found a common red star. And the next day, I found something else. And all of a sudden, I was hooked. And I remember my friend saying, what are you doing going there? Why don't you go somewhere proper, like, you know, on the East Coast and watch migrants there? And I said, well, you know what? I'm more interested in actually finding something in, some, in a place, not in the middle of nowhere, but in the middle of somewhere. Right. And, uh, you know, I just found myself, instead of heading to a coastland at, at uh, migration time, I'll be going in to my patch and I'll be imagining that my patch is on the coast. And that's the thing. Migration, okay, is most highlighted in, in areas like the coastlands, but it happens across a broad front. Mm-hmm. So I think to myself, if, something's, if there's a fall of migrants, you know, on the coast, that I'm going to my patch in central London because I might have a mirror effect in my patch and it has actually happened. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. So the first 10 years I spent on my own every, you know, I'd go as often as I can for 10 years. And then I started finding rarities. And then from that point on, a few people started coming and now we have a body of like six or seven birders that go there the whole time. We call ourselves scrubbers. <laughs> and Wormwood Scrubs has gone from somewhere that no one ever thought about so now being, you know, I've been in the middle of the States, in the middle of nowhere, and people come up to me and say, oh, Wilma Scrubs, you know, and they know about it. So it's incredible. It's become kind of a known, known London yeah. birding spot, yeah. yeah. And just by the value that someone finally took notice of it or made the effort to bird it for, for yeah. like you said, seven days to finally turn up something. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is, I, I don't know, I mean, I believe, I mean, I always say this, I believe in the force. Now, what I mean by the force is I believe in positivity. I believe in positive thinking. I mm-hmm. believe that birding, a lot of birding is made up of positive thoughts. In other mm-hmm. words, you go to your patch or you go somewhere birding. If you actually think to yourself, you know what, I'm going to find something today, then you will. And you, you, if you mm-hmm. believe it. And I remember, you know, my favorite bird is a bird called a ring oozel, which is a type of thrush. So it's a relative of the American robin. Right. It's black and it's got a white crescent on its chest. That's the male. And it's a very mm-hmm. handsome bird. But in the UK, it's quite rare. There's only like 8,000 pairs and they're decreasing. They're found in the mountainous regions of Britain. It's a summer visiting bird. They're very difficult to approach. 
And I thought as a kid, when will I ever get to see one of those? Who's going to take me to Scotland to see one of these birds? I actually see more ring oozles on my patch in Wormwood Scrubs than anywhere else. Right. The reason for that was nine years ago, I woke up one April morning and I thought to myself, I'm going to find one on my patch. I had no reason to think this, but I went to my patch. I walked around. I didn't see one at all. And I was walking back to my car and I just gave one last look over my shoulder. And as I did, a bird flew over my head, landed about 60 feet away. It was a ring oozle. And from that day on, Every spring and every autumn, we've seen ring oozles, which shows mm. that you don't have to be anywhere special to see interesting things. Right. And if you go out somewhere and think to yourself, you know what, I'm gonna, this, this area I've just discovered, I'm going to make this a mecca, then you will make it a mecca. You will find lots of good stuff. You just have to be positive about it. Well, I remember when I was in the, in the UK, uh, I was, you know, I went to Pagum Harbor and went to the East Coast I, yeah, yeah. and had a, had a great time and... I had, you know, the doing the tourist thing in London and I thought, ah, I'll bring binoculars with me just in case. And Hyde Park and around the Buckingham Palace, oh, it was amazing <laughs> the birding I got done. Yeah, well, it just shows you, I mean, you, you, birds can be anywhere and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You know, I've been in places where people would never even talk about and I've seen birds. So, you know, I mean, one of the most interesting places was a building site at the back of my hotel in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent four mornings and four afternoons just wandering this little place, having been during the course of the day to somewhere amazing. But I come back to my patch and people used it as a latrine. So there's people, you know, using, you know, doing their business everywhere. Yeah. The place stung to high heaven. There's hardly any undergrowth. You have to be very careful where you place your feet for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, I saw 60 species of birds in four days including migrants destined for Europe. And I thought, wow, this place is my place. No one in the world knows about this place. You know, and I'm, these birds are my birds. And these, this place may not be here next year, you know, because right. it's a building site. But right. I'm seeing, and that's a building site. So imagine if you found somewhere that was actually just around the corner from where you lived and no one went birding there. Mm-hmm. Go there. That's what I say to people. Go there and check it out. And, and so, you know, you, I kind of view you as kind of the uh... – the forerunner of this urban birding movement. <laughs> Have you found like counterparts in other urban areas, whether it's in America or like you said, Abbas Abbas, I can't say that word, but <laughs> other urban centers in the world? Well, the thing is, I'm not the original urban birder. I think people have been urban birding ever since there's been civilization. Um, there's people in this country, right. certainly, who existed before I did. Um, one guy who's my hero is a guy called Eric Sims, who died... I think about six or seven years ago, but he wrote a book. He wrote a million books, but one book he wrote was called Birds of Town and Suburb. And he wrote about, um, you know, how um, birds use cities and how if you visit areas and watch areas that aren't classically birding spots, you'll see things. And he kind of inspired me, but there were people way before him that were writing about urban birds. Mm -hmm. But there are people around the world who are very interested in urban birds. I mean, I, I was in, um, well, in the cities in America, for example, in New York, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, everywhere I went to, actually, there were mm-hmm. people who really loved the urban birds that they watched in their cities. And that's the same with the world over. I, I, there isn't, as far as I know, anyone like me who's actually trying to stand on a stage and talk about urban birds all over the world as opposed to, as opposed to London or mm-hmm. New York, you know. And that's where I see my, myself fitting. I'm trying to sort of galvanize everyone to, to get people on board, you know, get people introduced to the world of urban birding. And then from there, they can get involved in conservation. Right. Uh, even, if it's just, even if it just means 
sitting at your kitchen window looking at your backyard feeder. That's a great start. You're noticing birds. It's just fantastic. Now, do you find that, you know, would you consider yourself also a twitcher in the UK or do you kind of askew that and stay towards your own patches? Okay, firstly, we must clear up what twitching means because a lot of people don't understand what twitching is. Mm. Um, I, I presume twitching, I mean, when I went to America, not many people kind of knew what it was, so I presume it's a very British thing. Yeah, we, we, we would call it a chaser. We would yeah. call it a rarity chaser. Exactly. Twitching, a twitcher in Britain is predominantly male, and it's all about trying to outdo your, your, your mate in terms of seeing as many species as possible, so mm-hmm. ticking off all the rare birds. There's nothing wrong with twitching. I mean, I used to twitch myself a lot, especially when I was younger. And, and I still, if something's nearby or if I'm out with someone and someone says, oh, there's something around the corner, yeah, I'll go and twitch it. But I think the difference is, for me, is that I've seen twitchers who actually see a rare bird and literally watch it for five minutes, tick it off and run off. Whereas mm. for me, I'd much rather look at that bird and think, well, why is that a black pole wobbler? You know, why is that? Is it a male? You know, I'd rather try and work it out and think to myself, had I found out on my own, would I have recognised it? And I think you need to walk away and learn from it as opposed to just tick it off. Um, And I feel sorry for a lot of these vagrants because they often get hassled um, by people who want to see it. And I've seen it myself when I was twitching, and that's part of the reason why I stopped doing it because I just didn't agree with, with with that kind of style of birding. But don't get me wrong, not all twitchers are like that. Right. A few, a very small um, amount are like that, but a lot, most, bir- most birders and twitchers are very responsible people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just find twitching is not for me because I, it doesn't excite me. I much rather, nothing excites me more than finding my own rarity. And nothing excites me even more than that, than actually um, being on your local patch and finding something new for your patch. It doesn't have to be a rare bird. It could be something that's common outside in the country, but to see one in your patch, oh, my God, that's fantastic. I can't believe I've seen an oyster catcher flying over my patch in West London. That is amazing to me, even though mm-hmm. I can see a million of them you know, on the East Coast or wherever coast I go to. Right. You know, I have a friend who's a birder in Bozeman, Montana, so it's not exactly urban birding in Bozeman, Montana. But she actually has uh, – she works this patch every day. And she has over 160 species on that patch now, wow. in- including like Sabine's gall. She's had a that's flyover. One, that's one bird that's eluded, eluded me all my life, Sabine's, Sabine's or Sabine's gall, yeah. Never oh. seen one. Well, you have to come to Montana in November. Yeah, I think I'm better, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you've done this herbal birding, but you've also traveled. Like you mentioned your travels to Africa. So, you know, where has it taken you for your world birding? It's taking me everywhere, and almost anywhere I want to go is taking me. Um, I've, I've discovered some really interesting places, um, places that I'd never considered before. I mean, even in Europe, I mean, the most exciting and interesting place I've ever been to is Serbia, um, in the former U- Yugoslavia. Um, they have an incredible situation in some of their cities where they have phenomenal amounts of wintering long-eared owls. Um, one town in particular, we had up, up to 500 in the square, town square, which is just incredible. So you can actually discover things that, you know, people just ha- wouldn't recognize or wouldn't know because they don't go to those places. So, yeah, and it's taken me all over the place. And, um, you know, I've yet to find a city that hasn't had the birds that, you know, I thought I'd find. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've you've written some a book, at least one. 
or more. I write another one in a moment. I'm writing a book right now called my next book, which is called Look Up, and it's basically how to be an urban burner. So it sort of tells people, takes them through, you know, how to choose binoculars, what to put out in your garden to attract birds, how to what to wear, you know, how to behave, mm-hmm. how to behave in them, you know, when you're out birding mm-hmm. and stuff like. My view, anyway, when you're doing urban birding. Right. And, and when do you expect that to come out? That's going to be out in spring 2014. So that is around the corner, not too far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, what, what are your, kind of your plans moving forward for yourself? Um, and Well, I'm going to I'm, – I'm, I'm, I've been writing a lot of stuff anyway. I write for various magazines and – I think one of the things I'm doing at the moment is more tours, um, especially um, urban burning masterclasses. I think there's a call for mm-hmm. that, whereby I show up in a city and you know get a people, group of people around together and we spend the day just learning how to watch birds in a city and visit in places and hopefully they'll come away from that thinking, wow, I didn't realise there was so much in my city. So I'm doing those kind of things. Um, I'm also involved in the UK in mentoring kids um, and getting them out there and interested in wildlife. And, you know, the great thing about it is you don't have to go to the middle of nowhere to get involved. It's all about just walking around the corner with a camera, and your camera could just be your phone and and just take pictures and, and just start observing. So I'm trying to get in, involved in that. And I'm, I'm doing a lot more television as well. I mean, I've always done TV, but... Um, I'm just trying, I'm in talks now at the moment to try and get an urban birding series off the ground because, as I said said before, it's such an easily kind of uh, accessible pastime and you can mm. dip in, dip out, get involved as much as you want or whatever. So it's just, I think it's just waiting to be unfolded there. Well, I think that's interesting that you're you know, trying to get a series because, you know, I watched the UK and there, you it seems that the culture, the British culture, is much more willing to acknowledge that they can learn something. Where Americans, our nature programming, it's just it's become reality TV. It's not you know classical nature program where you can actually learn. Yeah, I think that's not the people though. I think it's the broadcasters. I yeah. think you know in America it's all celebrity led and it's all jaws, claws, and fangs. Yeah, and I think that's what the the people the broadcasters think people want. But, you know, my recent visit, I've kind of realized that there's a, a change occurring. I think people are beginning to realize, well, actually, you know, there is another way of doing this. And, you know, if you can use personality, if you can use um, natural things all around us, it can really interest people. And I've noticed, you know, talking to the people I spoke to across the U.S., but everyone's actually willing to learn and everyone actually thinks, wow, I didn't actually think that was here and why is that behaving in that way? Oh, is that the reason why? You know, they actually are quite interested, but they're lacking because they're not getting it, getting it from your, your programming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, as I say, all about the fantastical things that most people never see. Right. Um, and I, I think it's less so here in Britain, but there is an element of that too, um, that, you know, people feel that, or broadcasters feel that, People want to see the same classic tigers, lions, and elephants, but there's a lot more to life than those mm-hmm. animals. And do do you find do you think uh, the appreciation for nature, you know, even through media, is increasing in the UK or stagnant or decreasing? I think it's in the UK it's increasing, but I think the UK is quite a special case because mm-hmm. we are very much as a nation very much animal lovers and. Um, 
you know, I, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, which I suppose is the equivalent of your Audubon Society, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or the ABA even, um, you know, a lot of the members are, I mean, there's probably 1.2 million members or something like that, and a lot of them aren't even birders. A lot of them are just interested or have a, an affinity for wildlife. Mm-hmm. And you find that whenever you walk on the street, and talk, when I talk to people on the street or take people out that aren't birders, everyone, or practically everyone, has an innate interest in, in, in birds, especially. And they often say, oh, I know nothing about birds. But then you, you point something out flying past, and they're the very same people saying, oh, really? Why is that? You know, they, they have that interest. And it's all about trying to get them or get that interest out. And that's the problem with, with a lot of broadcasting I see. It just plays to a certain element or to a certain level. And, you know, it makes people think they watch these wonderful programs and then they switch their TV off and the connection's gone. And they think all is well in the world because I've just seen a program and it shows a lion hunting the gazelle and everyone's happy. So why am I, why am I worrying about conservation? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the message has not been put over in a way that perhaps would you know, engage more people. Right. And, and so, you know, you're, you're doing this new book, you're trying to get this series. So you're obviously a busy guy. Uh, how do you find the time to balance all of this work and birding at the same time? How do you find that balance? Well, I do, I do all at the same time, to be honest. Um, birding is, a, well, my work is a pleasure. I mean, the, 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 the hard, t- the hard part is actually balancing your private life. So girlfriends, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a bit of a tough one because I'm, I'm away quite a lot and, you know, you have to be, <coughs> excuse me, you have to be with someone who uh, uh, understands that, you know, this is your, because uh, for me, it's like if I meet a woman, I have to say, right, before we go, go any further, this is a contract. I am a birder. I am hell-bent on going out and talking to people and that comes first. If you're happy with that, then we can carry on. If you're not, then that's fine too, you know. So that's, right. that's how I have to operate. But, you know, for me, I, I, it's like a calling, and I feel like I have. I mean, I've got. I mean, I've just mentioned a couple of projects I'm working on. I've got several more um, that I'm working in conjunction with other people, and I'm very keen to appeal and talk to people outside of our community. So I'm talking to corporates. I'm talking to, you know, people who are, have money um, that could potentially, over a period of time, be warmed into you know, putting that, some of that money into conservation, you know, so I'm, I'm more interested in appealing to those kind of areas. Um, and I think that's a big job. And I, I just want to try and get as many people activated and turned on into nature for them to then meet up with other people within our world who mm-hmm. will then take them on and lead them into other areas. So I see myself as a bridge. I just, I'm just an introducer. That's, that's, that's what I am effectively. I like that. An introducer. That's a good term. <laughs> So, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, and I kind of wanted to go back to it, this idea of positivity in birding, you know, that have, having a positive attitude results in positive outcomes. And yeah. so part of more in birds is we want to talk about, you know, kind of the more spiritual aspects of birding, which do exist, but I think are vastly underanalyzed. And so how do you view, you know, being positive and birding at the same time? Um, I, I think the positivity comes... In many guises, it ranges. I mean, it, it covers all areas, ranging from um, you know when you meet with someone, you talk to them. You know, if someone says, "Ask you what you're looking at or what, what's around," you talk to them, because I think it's birding and any kind of nature appreciation is all about sharing. 
You know, I often meet people on my travels who aren't birders. They might be walking their dog or whatever. You know, come over to you and say, what are you looking at? And I say, yeah, take a look. I'm looking at a peregrine. It's sitting on the nest. The peregrine's the world's fastest bird. You realize that? Oh, no. Yeah, they travel at 200 miles an hour, hit a pigeon, the head comes off, you know, and already you've drawn them in. Mm-hmm. And they, they will walk away from you thinking, wow, I didn't realize, you know, and, and, you know, for me, if you can just get one person to think differently, you've done your job. And if we can, we can all do that, all of us. So that's how I look at it. And I think in terms of positivity, I go out every day thinking I'll see everything and nothing. Mm-hmm. And that way, you're never disappointed. I just go anywhere, my local patch in the pouring rain, and I still think, you know what, I'll see something because even though it's raining, I'm not going to have a negative outlook. I'm going to think positively because I'm going to see something and, and things, you know, happen. Now, I'm not saying that every day you go out, it's going to be a brilliant day because obviously it's not. But, you know, you should really praise Give praise, I say. I should, I should say, for anything you see, because even mm. if it's a common bird, you might be doing something you've never seen it do before. And I always look at everything. I think it's, you know, if, even if you know what it is, look at it, because it might be doing something you've never seen it do before. It may even be something that you actually haven't seen before. It might be a bird that you thought was what you thought it was, but it's not. It's something else. So look at everything twice, and that's how you discover birds as well. Right, and you notice different tendencies, and like you said, different behaviors. You never saw that before. And I've yeah. been I've been doing this kind of an exercise, which I'm I'm trying to coalesce it into this idea of mindful birding, which is I actually try to go out birding without labeling anything that I see. So I'm 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 simply just taking it in. I'm just looking. Yeah. Well, that's good because that's why I always tell beginners, you know, people say to me, oh, my God, you know, I'll I'll never know all these birds. I say, well, don't. I say, you know, what I did when I started was just to enjoy what you saw without thinking about what it is or worrying about what it is. Listen to the bird song. I don't worry about trying to pick out what's what because that will come eventually. It's like osmosis, you know. It's like, you know, especially the dawn chorus, dawn chorus, you go out and hear this wonderful bird song in the woodlands and then, you think of it as an orchestra. You hear the violins, you hear the trombones, you hear the, you know, the drums and stuff. And then eventually you get to pick out the instruments and think, oh wow, so that's a that's a chaffinch, that's a, a red cardinal, that's a Carolina red, you know. And you better mm-hmm. pick them all out eventually. But there's no rush, there's no competition, there's no end date for learning all the birds. You may not even want to learn all the birds. It's up to you. You don't have to do anything. The most important thing is just to be aware and just to enjoy and just to feel. That's all that you need to do. That's 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 exactly right. And I always see you know people get so tight. You know they get that that uh, that desire, like you said, to see something. They have to see this particular bird that they came all this way for. And you know I've seen it ruin their time. You know, and then they don't see it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Excuse me, I think that's, you know, I mean, I remember going to the Azores in the Mid-Atlantic and um, one of the specialities there is the Azores bullfinch, which is only found on San Miguel, one of the islands. And I remember going to San Miguel and we were actually delayed because there was bad weather and we had literally one afternoon and it was pouring with rain. We went to the spot where we were supposed to see it and it was very dull, pouring with rain and we didn't see it. And I think to myself, well, okay, fine. I've had a great time. I've seen loads of other things that, you know, fantastic. And, you know, okay, I didn't see that, but I'll come again, you know. I think there's only one or two birds that I really, really, really love to see. Well, one in particular, and that's Eskimo curly. Uh, <laughs> I, I will travel anywhere to see an Eskimo curly. I think we all missed the boat on now, unfortunately. Well, you know what? I'm positive. I, I actually think that there might be there might be a couple hanging out still somewhere. 
And I'd so, like to be the man to find it. Well, you know, weirder things have happened. I, trying to, I was trying to think of something else that was resurrected from the dead, you know, lately. You know, there's been other species yeah. rediscovered. Oh, not the Adrobal woodpecker, but other species that are less known have been kind of rediscovered. I mean, one is Gurney's pitter. I think that small, mm-hmm. you know, good, yeah. it's basically a small bird, land bird that was found in Thailand, I think it was, um, maybe about 10 to 15 years yeah. ago. And that was deemed as extinct and, you know, someone rediscovered them. So I, I, I have a, you know, I, I feel positive about a lot of things. I, I hope that certain species are still existing, but under, away from my gaze. Because remember, we are creatures of habit and we tend, when we go abroad especially, we tend to go to the same places that everyone else goes to. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go on holiday, instead of going to the same nature reserve or the same place, try somewhere else. Or even just walk around your hotel and, and have a local patch nearby. I always do that. No matter where I am and how long I am there for, it's always nice to have a local patch just around the corner. Because A, you have that satisfaction of finding things that no one else has, has, has seen because it's your patch, no one's watching. Mm-hmm. And B, you might inadvertently help. Um, re- re-establish or re-kind of uh, connect people's thinking in terms of the distribution of a particular species. Right. I, remember, I remember being in Mexico City and I saw Rufus back thrush, which is very similar to American Blackbird, American Robin actually. Yeah, and same remember, genus. Yeah, yeah Turdus, yeah. And I remember walking around Mexico City and seeing these thrushes everywhere and I looked at my guide and according to the range uh, they, weren't, they weren't to be seen in Mexico City yet there they were. And mm-hmm. the reason why I was seeing it was because I was looking. I think mm-hmm. most people go to Mexico City, for example, and get the, the first bus out straight away. You know, right. book. So, if you are in a city, have a look. You might, you might, you know, you might find something surprising. I, I don't know if I'll hang out in Mexico City though. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel the same way. I got stuck one day in San Jose, Costa Rica, and I've. The times I've gone, I've always, you know, gotten on a bus straight away and gotten out of town. And I got stuck there for a whole day. And it was it was really nice birding, just walking around the streets and seeing what was around. Yeah, so, and I think also when you go abroad and you are in a city before you move on to your main events, it's always nice to have a look around the city because you can get used to some of the birds. You know, you get used to some of the common birds. So when you do go to the main place you go to... You are already used to a lot of the common birds. So you can move straight on to the ones that aren't so common or you haven't seen before. Right. And so, you know, you've, you've traveled the world. You've seen a lot of places. But is there one birding spot that you, I really have to go there? I think, you know, I want to explore South America. I mean, as a kid, just one area I've always wanted to be uh, and, and hang out in. And to be honest, I've only ever been to Sao Paulo in Brazil. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been to Mexico, but that's not South America. So I really want to spend time uh, before it's too late to see some of the stuff there really mm-hmm. in South America. I mean, that's, that's, that's my one place I'd love to, you know, go tomorrow and just spend time just having a look. I'd love it. Well, you know, I know like a lot of people are going, you know, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia are just outstanding birding. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and so you, you got a book coming out, you got a TV show. We have to get you to South America to go birding really soon. <laughs> So, you know, what, what's kind of on your immediate horizon, you know, doing these master classes? What are you doing right now? Okay, right now, um, it's finishing off my, my next book. That's the most important thing. But I'm also, the master classes, I said, I'm, I'm also working on a couple other projects. I'm working on an arts book with a gallery owner in uh, central London. He used to look after, he looks after street artists. 
and used to look after Banksy of all people. And oh. um, we've come up with an idea whereby we're getting street artists to paint or spray paint urban birds, be it um, ghetto birds or proper birds, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and call this book Birds of Spray. And basically it's an art book, um, but it will be another way of reaching out to a different audience, you know, in the, in the world of art. And uh, I'm also working with, with a poet. Um, she is a poet and an illustrator, and she, we're, we're working on a book on British birds for, for kids, urban birds for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, she draws a, a she, she's a very great, good illustrator, and she's, she's painted images of, of, of common garden birds that um, she then attaches a poem next to. And all I'm doing is writing a paragraph about the, the factual things, you know, mm-hmm. so... You know, I'm, just, I'm interested in, in those kind of ideas which are kind of away from what, what people might normally do. I, I um, love the idea of the street artist. That's that's an incredible tie-in, you know. No, it is. I mean, you know, it's a great marriage. And, I, and I, I, when I was in America, I was speaking to artists in L.A. and New York, getting them on board. And, <clears throat> excuse me, the reception has been very good. And I think I think it would be a really interesting book, really, to be honest. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, you know, two genres that are – Two concepts, I should say, that people you know either avoid or don't think about. One is urban art, you know, it's easy to just call it graffiti, and the other is these urban birds, and to have you know the two kind of reinforce one another is really interesting. Yeah, it's good. It's, it could be quite good. So that's that's two things I'm, I'm looking at, and then closer to home, um, I have a project in central London, um, Tower Forty Two Bird Study Group. Now, Tower 42 is one of the tallest buildings in central London. It's actually mm-hmm. in the financial area. And for the last four years, um, for once a week uh, during the spring and during the fall, um, we stand, I'll get a group of people to stand on top of this tower, which is 600 feet above London. And it has a superb panoramic view across the whole of London. And we basically um, collate the number of large birds of prey traveling across London. Um, what's interesting about this project is it's, it's not particularly scientifically viable because it's only once a week and sometimes you have to cancel if it's bad weather because we have to also give the building uh, a week's warning because of security issues. Um, so we, we're not flexible in terms of getting people there like tomorrow mm-hmm. if it's, it's going to be good. Um, but the interesting thing is it was very, very, very interesting uh, and attractive to the national and local media, which is what I wanted because... People said, "Oh, you're standing on top of a building in London, looking for birds, you know." And it become it's become this iconic place, which is like the most unusual birding spot in the world, almost. But it got people looking up. It got right. people thinking, "Oh, if I look up, I might see a peregrine," you know. It got people thinking, and that's all that I wanted to happen, really. So that was fantastic. So we're doing that again um, this spring, and it always attracts a lot of people, yeah. you know, who are interested. Um, some people come every week. Some people just come, even if it's just come to look at the uh, the scenery, pretending that they're birding. That's right. fine by me because eventually you do see birds and, you know, you start noticing things. So I'm all about, as I say, I'm an, I'm an introducer. And if I, I introduce people in whatever way I can. Yeah. I love that idea. It's like an urban hawk watch. Yeah, I, it, yeah. And I can see that working in New York because there's definitely passage birds, New York, even L.A. for that matter. You could do... These sort yeah. of things. I mean, there are people around that are doing stuff. I mean, Bella Cruz in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. Not sure how urban that is, but they are. There's a hotel there where people stand on top of them and see 
phenomenal amounts of birds flying over. But for me, it's not about numbers of birds. It's more about getting people to look in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being on top of a building which people don't normally get the, the chance of being on top of is a great draw in itself. But then to say, oh, my God, look there, there's a, a common buzzer. There's five of them, and they're circling over central London. I mean, that's an amazing sight for most birders in London because we don't see things like that normally, mm-hmm. or we don't think they're around because we don't look up. You know, right. so... It's just interesting. I, I find I find that interesting. So I'm very interested, as you probably gather, in just different angles, trying to get people engaged using the different different method, really, or different right. different routes, routes, routes. Well, it, it's so interesting because you, you you just kind of fuse passion for birding and birds, and it it really comes across. And I can't you know I can really imagine the people when they're around you, like you said, you're the introducer. I can see that coming from you where people go, well, that guy's excited, so I should be excited too. Exactly. And I think the other thing is I, I, I love people. I think, you know, it's all about people. I think, you know, we should engage and use people more. Again, in any programming I do on TV, I, I, I always try to involve people because I think it's good to for someone to be watching at home thinking, oh, I could do that. Oh, I could go outside my door and see the same thing too. And that's what it should be about, you know. Mm. Um, I, I, don't get me wrong. It's great to see these wonderful, you know, images of Africa and stuff. But I think we also need to bring it home a bit and get people to realize that, you know, we don't live in a bubble in the city. There is actually wildlife here. It's not just in the countryside. It's not just on TV. It's actually outside your front door right now. You know, so we need to get that message across, across too. Oh, that's great. Well, I, David, I think we'll wrap it up, but thank you so much for being a guest and introducing us to this whole concept of urban birding, and thank you so much. Listen, Rad, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate I, that. I, I, more, than you, more than you know, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs>